0: And welcome back to the Cycling With Watts podcast. I am your host, Jared Watts, and this is episode number 20. We're hitting a milestone here. That is awesome. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If this is your first time here, the Cycling With Watts podcast is dedicated to all things cycling. I want to inspire people to cycle more by bringing you pro news, tech news, Training tips, maintenance tips, anything about bikes, I want to share it here on this podcast. We got some great pro news today, we got some good Peter Sagan stuff, you don't want to miss that for sure. And then Thanksgiving is coming in like four days and that also means black friday so one of the things in tech news that we're gonna break down is some of the big sales going on this black friday for cycling what can you pick up and the day after you're super thankful for everything then you go out and buy everything so what can you buy cycling wise it is all in this podcast so we're gonna get right into it all right so like i said my name is jared watts and if you uh if this is your first time tuning in, I am a cycling bike mechanic by day. I ride a bike, some sort of bike every single day. Right now, it's the indoor trainer most of the time, and I just uh, love bikes. So bike mechanic by day, cycling podcast der by night, if you want to put it that way. So, yes, I just love bikes. I have a lot of passion for cycling, and I just want to share that passion. I get to learn a lot being in the bike business, and I love following uh, pro news, all the things that are going on there, new tech that is coming out. I love all that stuff, and I want to share maintenance tips that I've learned you know, on the job that I'm learning every day, also training tips. I'm not some amazing racer by any means, but I think a lot of people are in my situation where we're racing for some of our first times. And now that I've been in it a long time, I can see stuff from a mechanic standpoint and kind of a newbie standpoint as well. I just want to share what I'm going through and some of the tips that I have picked up over over the years. So that is me. Now, also, we're going to do a couple housekeeping things before we get into the pro news. Everything that I talk about today is going to be up on The website that is cyclingwithwatts.com, you can see all the visuals for everything that I talk about, links, anything like that will be up at cyclingwithwatts.com. Also, email address, cyclingwithwatts at gmail. Feel free to reach out to me. I would love to hear from any and all of you, questions that you have about bike stuff, about training, about pro news, like literally anything you want, email and ask me and i'd love to answer it on the show i got a question for today that i'm gonna answer at the end but i'd love to to answer your questions and then talk about them on the show so please email me cycling with watts at gmail or if you got suggestions for the show anything like that feel free to reach out follow me on instagram that is cycling with watts feel free to direct message me there as well if that's how you want to get a hold of me but yeah i'd love to uh love to talk with you all so please get in contact with me there so that is it so now on to pro news and for the the first thing to talk about is uh, a rule change from the uci now if you don't know anything about the uci it's the governing body for racing and the uci does a lot of good i couldn't go into like the real real depths of the uci can't do that justice. but from the time that I've known cycling and known the UCI, they do a lot of a lot of really weird like nitpicky things that I, just my view coming from other sports growing up watching baseball football stuff like that, it just seems dumb and trivial and stuff like that. so that does kind of set up this new rule that is coming out and it's about sock length. Now I know sock length, is a massive debate in the cycling community. How high, how low? You know, I, I, uh, I got to be honest. It's not, uh, it's not favorable for me to do the low-cut, no socks that kind of screams you're a triathlete. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I don't want to shame or judge that. For me, though, it's that nice sock that sits kind of like right below the calf muscle, if you will. Maybe a little bit higher, maybe a little bit lower, and have some nice, real funky socks. I've been digging the socks that I'm getting from the GCN Club. They send you a new sock every month. It's $15 a month if you're in the U.S. I think they have some really cool socks, so shout-out to uh, GCN Club if you want to step up your sock game. It's great. But, yes, the UCI has now given a rule on sock length. So I'm going to read you the previous rule a little bit vague and now they've made it a little bit more clear so rule 1.3.033 previously stated the socks and shoe covers used in competition must not extend above the middle of the leg but it was kind of so vague that it allowed for a broad range of interpretation now where this really comes into play is time trials And especially, I mean, kind of any time trial, but especially the big ones, Tour de France, Vualta, Giro, you know, world time trial. That's really where this comes into play, and announcers will talk about it because you you see guys flirt with that, that line of how high a sock should be. Now, it's supposed to give an arrow advantage. That would make sense if you have an arrow sock, you pull it all the way up. Now, why wouldn't you do this on a regular road stage? Well, there's definitely a comfort aspect to it, and I think the material probably just isn't as breathable as well because it's kind of like your skin suit. I don't know if it breathes as well. I've never worn, like, super aero socks, but, you know, the further it comes up your leg, the faster you technically should go because you should be more aero. Now, the new amended rule reads, socks and overshoes used in competition may not rise above the height-defined by half the distance between the middle of the lateral malleus and the middle of the fibula head. So basically, knee to ankle. has to be halfway in between there. So they basically just made it a little bit more clear. But in the end, I (laughs) I just find this so trivial and so, so dumb. I just don't care about how high somebody's, socks are if they wore a full leg in a time trial i would really could care less i want to see them go freaking fast now i think there's definitely some rules that you need to preserve there's a lot of talk right now about should the uci be relaxing their their bike laws especially for time trials so that you can really like you see these crazy triathlon bikes that are super super arrow. But you can't have that in the uci because you have to have that double diamond frame and i agree to a certain extent that that rule should be relaxed so that we can have more innovation and brands can come out with new and not be so constricted by the rules because right now they're definitely constricted by time trial rules and how that bike can look whereas triathlon though they can just come up with the freaking fastest bike You know, they have these crazy, crazy designs that look pretty cool, actually. You know, even being a road cyclist, I think they look pretty cool. So I think they should relax that. But, you know, something like this. I just find this really stupid that we have to put a definition on somebody's sock length. You know, also the UCI just came out with a new rule about skin suits that they can't have any material that disrupts the airflow. And this is really coming back to the Chris Froome Castelli Vortex suit that had little dimples on it, like a golf ball that, or those dimples on the shoulder and arm of the time trial suit would disrupt the air flow, therefore making you faster. And again, I I just don't care about that. You know, I can understand banning performance enhancer drugs. Totally understand that, because it makes you faster in an unethical way. But having dimples on your skin suit, I mean, if Costelli can come up with that kind of innovation, I think they should be able to do it. I think we're getting too nitpicky there. So, I, I find the sock rule kind of dumb. So, I mean, that's just kind of the bottom line. And also, we don't have any rules around, are they going to be measuring these before the race? Are they going to you know what I? What scares me the most is that somebody is going to come with a sock height that is right at the borderline of this. They're not going to measure it beforehand before the race. They're going to wait till after the race is done, after res- the results are done. It's going to happen to somebody like Chris Froome, Tom. De- it's going to happen to one of those big guys, Tom DeMoulin, somebody like that who is in contention for winning a grand tour. And then it's going to be like three months of controversy or whether or not that sock height was too high, too low. They're not going to take action. And then there's just going to be all this controversy. That is what I am fearful of. Because like the Salbutamol case, that's what that was. It was so much unnecessary publicity, whatever you want to call it. It was just so much, so much time that I felt like was wasted. And I really feel like this sock height thing is going to, Come into effect somehow. Team Sky is going to be under fire. I am on the Team Sky bandwagon all the time. So I feel like they're going to be under fire in some way because they've definitely flirted with this in the past about having too high of socks. But we'll see. I hope the UCI does this right. It just blows over. We never even hear about it because they have measures in place before the race starts. And I hope that they can really educate teams too on like, this is exactly where it needs to be so there's no confusion. Therefore, no controversy, because I'd rather have no controversy with this because it's just stupid to have a controversy over something like this. So yes, now you have Sakite rules, which is really weird. I'm going to be honest with, them, that's really weird. But anyways, let's move on to something else. Uh, another kind of controversy, which I think is very interesting. So Alex Kristoff was interviewed by Cycling News, good interview, read through over in um, Criterium over in Asia for the Tour de France, and as you may or may not know, Gaviria, Fernando Gaviria, has moved over from Quickstep over to UAE Emirates, and he will be riding for that team, along with Fabio Roux, Dan Martin, Alexander Kristoff. They have a pretty stacked team, I would say, but Kristoff is definitely their go-to sprint guy, and he's he didn't have the greatest of seasons this year. He'll even admit that himself. But he is still performing pretty good. I, I, compared to Gaviria, he was just missing the wheels. You know, he was finishing in that third, fourth, fifth, sixth, somewhere like that, in a lot of those big sprints. He still, I think, has a lot of legs left in him. But he's definitely getting on the older side. Whereas Gaviria, young, upcoming, fresh talent and so Christoph is being very realistic in this interview and he's saying for the most part I want to work for Gaviria if he is the fastest one but I also hope that my team will still give me a shot will still give me a chance and so I think that's a really cool approach to take I think that's very level-headed and I think it's the right approach to take in that he will work for Gaviria If Kaviria is in that spot and in that moment, he is the guy, or in that week, you know, whatever that looks like. If Kaviria is the guy and he is performing better than Kristoff, Kristoff will help lead him out. And I think that's a very selfless thing. I think we do see that a lot in cycling, but definitely in some other sports, we don't see that dynamic. Also, we don't get to hear about that dynamic as, I think, raw and intimate, like this interview. So I really like that aspect of Kristoff just being really open about it in this interview. And I, and I like what he has to say. I think that's very level-headed. I think that's good for him. And I hope the best for him. I think UAE Emirates could be a pretty strong force next year. They've really been stacking up that team. They've kind of just, just missed things in a way. Not like just missed it, but they haven't been the best. I know with Dan Martin, they've had some high hopes. He... Definitely made the race animating in the Tour de France. So that was really fun to watch. Fabio Rue kind of had, you know, an all right season. I wouldn't say one of the best. So we'll see how Gaviria and Christophe get on there. I'm also afraid to have Gaviria have the same thing happen like Marcel Kittel when he left Quickstep. So I really hope Gaviria is going to be just as strong next year as he was this year with Quickstep. I'm not really sure why exactly... He left Quick Step. I believe it had something to do with the sponsorship where they were, you know, in trouble of having a title sponsor as edX was moving away. They have now have a new sponsor, so they are all good for next year. But I believe that is why Gaviria moved over. We didn't really get a clear clear answer on why he moved, but he moved and we'll see how that plays out next year. So real quick, Vincenzo Nibali, who is an amazing bike handler, always a fun guy to watch, he was riding some gravel roads, uh, testing out some disc brakes, which I don't. I, he didn't ride disc brakes last year, and he's probably rode disc brakes before, but I think that'd be cool. We could be seeing him riding disc brakes next year, and hopefully I can get this video on the website. I hope it all works out, because I'd love to show you all, because he is freaking ripping on some gravel roads, I don't know how fast he's going exactly, but it looks like he is absolutely just flying, and it's super fun to watch, it's a great quality, I think GoPro video or whatever, so check that out, cyclingwithwatts.com, super fun to watch Vincenzo Newelly go off and do his thing, so he's testing out some disc brakes, and just ripping on some gravel, so it's fun to watch, go check that out so i talked to uh was it, episode 18 about a week ago about israeli cycling academy and they are bolstering that roster well they just signed another big one and i literally mean big connor dunn irish cycling he is uh, going to israeli cycling and i say really big because he's like 6'7", I think, 6'9". He's massively tall, especially for a cyclist. But he will be coming from Aqua Blue, and not necessarily coming from Aqua Blue, because they dissolve. They are no longer a team. Kind of a really sad story, I would say, with Aqua Blue, but Connor Dun signs with Israeli cycling. So if you don't know, Aqua Blue, they dissolved back in August. They just lost funding. They kind of had this new approach to how they were going to fund A cycling team, the experiment did not work. They had massive controversy with the 3T Strata bikes that had the one-by system on them. The racers hated them. It was just massive controversy. But one of the things the owner said is that they were going to honor the contracts through the end of the year, especially for those guys who did not get picked up on teams. Well, there's been a couple guys who's gotten picked up on new teams, But there's still a lot of guys out there who have not been picked up yet and they haven't been paid. So, kind of another sad controversy coming out of that Aqua Blue camp in that now some of these riders aren't getting paid for the money that they were promised on getting. So, I I hope the best for that. There's been a lot of bad and negativity around the Aqua Blue team. But we'll see in the next couple weeks how that all plays out and I hope Those guys get paid. So, to transition from kind of a sad story to kind of a really cool stat, I love that pros are getting more and more open about what is going on in their lives, what's going on in their training, and giving us all this data through Strava. I think that is really cool. And I love it as a fan of the sport that I get to you know, see the inside lives of these pros and I get to see how fast they're going when I'm watching them on TV and just taking in the awe of what they can do on a bike. So I got some stats for you. If you didn't see this on Twitter, I'm going to tell you here, Tom Squeens of Trek Segafredo and what his 2018 looked like. Now, this was a couple days ago but it is still massive, and it's so awesome. So, hours ridden. He has ridden a total of, and these are Shava, by the way. He's ridden a total of a thousand fifty-two hours. That is almost forty-four days of riding in 2018. That is massive and crazy. I think this is a, you know, a really amazing stat. So kilometers ridden kilometers ridden total of 32,930 kilometers which 12,533 of those kilometers were raced in 82 days and so that just talks about the level of training that these guys are doing and how much training they're doing outside of their racing season you know it's incredible that they ride something like Tour de France and put in all those miles in that short period of time. But by these stats, he's putting in a ton ton of miles in training plus all that racing, which that makes sense to any other sport and how much you practice to actual game time. But quick math, that's like 20,000 kilometers of training, so 8,000 more kilometers training than he raced. Absolutely massive. Now, meters climbed. 392,772 meters climb which is 44 times the height of Everest crazy again now the last one love how he stated it so kilocalories burned 746,423 which is approximately 2,463 cheeseburgers so just some like mind-numbing stats coming from Tom Squeens. And it, again, it just shows how amazing these guys are on a bike and how much they put like I can't imagine riding those kind of of numbers in a year. Now, I'm working a regular job, so it's not like I can dedicate my entire life to the bike. Or I should say riding a bike. I, I do kind of dedicate my whole life to the bike if you put it that way, and that's me being in the bike industry, where I feel like you definitely get some more time to ride the bike, and you have more focus, and you, you know I'm able to fix my, I'm never without my bikes, so I can fix it, I can get all the parts, I can do all that stuff, so I'm in a unique, fortunate situation where I get to ride my bike quite often, but I, I can't even imagine hitting these kind of numbers, so it's, I think it's really cool to see that, I love how pros are opening up more, and also there's been a massive amount of debate around power meters being banned. I think it's stupid. I talked about it a week or two ago on the podcast. I am not for it because I think that it's going to take away from the sport and not progress the sport. But in fact, I think they should be showing us more power numbers while while they're riding. I want to see in the Tour de France how fast they're going and what are they doing going through the Pyrenees from a power standpoint, it's cool to see it after the race, but I also want to see it live. And I think that would be a great way to get more viewership and give more to the audience who's watching it on TV. So I love that Tom Squeens posted that. Now, if you want to get even closer to the pros right now, you can buy Mark Cavendish's Cervelo S5. Now it is going to cost you quite a bit of money, but not as much as I originally thought. Now, it's a bidding process. I will have the link for it on the website, and it is for charities It's for que- Quebeca Bikes, which donates bikes to... I think it's both men and women in Africa, but I think their big focus, too, is women and donating bikes to them so that they can go to class they have some form of transportation to either get education to get water to get food they're donating bikes as a way of transportation in africa so it's a really cool charity they've donated so many bikes over the years and they partner with team dimension data for a bunch of different things but in this case they are auctioning off bikes so yes you can get mark cavendish's Cervelo s5 Right now, this is Monday night, almost 9 o'clock Central Time. The current bid is $5,700, and bids only increase by $100. There's been 15 bids so far, and it ends on Friday at 11.45pm. $5,800 for a pro-level Cervelo S5? Not that expensive. In, In reality, I don't have that kind of money to blow. I am not going to blow that kind of money, but $5,800, not that bad. I assume this will go way up when we get closer to Friday, but still, go check it out. That link will be on cyclingwithwatts.com. So a couple other quick news items. There is going to be a one-day track event to run alongside the Tour Down Under in 2019. That was just announced the other day. I think that's kind of cool. The Tour Down Under It's kind of a great way to kick off the cycling season early on. And so make it bigger by adding a track event and drawing more and more crowds. Track cycling is really big in Australia. So I think that's really cool that they're doing that and making the sport bigger. This is where I feel like we are progressing the sport. When we do things like this and we help... Bring more cycling together in one spot for a big event. Also, the Volta announced that they will return to Andorra and the route will possibly go through French roads in the Pyrenees. So kinda cool that it's gonna go back through Andorra. So now we are wrapping up pro news and we're gonna hit you with Sagana Watch. So Peter was being Peter. This is Peter Sagan. Those sirens mean that we're going to do Sagan Watch where I give you an update on what Peter Sagan is up to. Sometimes it's about his hair. Sometimes it's about a new bike. Sometimes it's about him doing a wheelie. Today it is about him at the Shanghai Criterium where he was dressed up really, really cool in a, like, a green kimono. I think that is the right word for it. I apologize if that is not the right word for it. But he looked freaking sweet in it. And he won the Shanghai Crit. So congrats Peter for winning the Shanghai Crit. Now, he uh, beat Garen Thomas, which, again, you might question, why did the winner of the Tour de France take second place in a crit? Well, that is up to you to judge on whether or not these are, you know, kind of planned races, not planned races. Little suspicious, though, that Garen Thomas is taking play, second place to... Peter Sagan in a Criterium. So that's all I'll say on that. But go check out the pictures of Peter, because he looks pretty freaking sweet, at the Shanghai Criterium. Those are up on cyclingwithwatts.com. And that is the end of Sagan Watch. Unfortunately, those sirens mean that we are done with pro news, so we are going to transition like a triathlon event over into the tech world. And let me tell you, I got something that I nerded out about when I saw this. I was super, super pumped about what I'm going to talk about here in like one second. But I just want to tell you how much I nerded out. Like I never thought in my life that I would get excited over nipples. Now, yes, you heard that right. I said nipples, but a very different (laughs) nipples than what you might be thinking. I'm talking about nipples on carbon spokes. Now, if you've seen some carbon wheels in the past, Lightweight has them, Mavic has them, and they look really, really cool, but they are totally stupid, I think. (laughs) Like, if you have the money to blow, maybe. I don't know why you need that light of a wheel to begin with, but The real challenge with carbon spoke wheels was that you couldn't true them. Or if you could, it took like rebuilding the entire wheel in order to true it. And that was because the carbon spokes were bonded to the rim. There was no nipple, so you couldn't true the spokes. And if you ride your bike a lot, you have to true your wheels. It's just a part of bike maintenance. It's usually pretty simple. It's not that hard. But you couldn't true these wheels, and so Hunt Wheels came out with a new set of carbon wheels that had carbon spokes, and they have alloy spoke nipples, and you can true them just like you would any other wheel. At least that is how I understand it right now. Now, I'm not smart enough, nor can I do justice for how they accomplished this, but it was some instance of how they laid up the carbon that they were able to bond it and form it in a way that could then be put into a spoke nipple and so yes now you can true these carbon spoke wheels and let me tell you as a mechanic that is super super nice because whenever i see people with tri-spoke wheels carbon wheels that you know they don't race they literally just have it to look cool I I don't want to judge. I I never really want to pass judgment on people, but I do kind of shake my head because I'm just like, what happens when that wheel goes out of true? And unfortunately, that thought never crossed their mind. They weren't educated on it. Whoever sold them the wheel didn't educate them on that, or maybe they bought it on the internet, didn't know. So I don't want to put the blame on them, but I think it's kind of stupid because you can't true the wheel. And if you want to have wheels that work properly you need to true them and it's pretty simple so that is my little rant on truing up wheels but i think this is really cool that hunt wheels came up with a way to have carbon spokes that you can true this would make me want to get a set of carbon spokes not that i'm going to because i don't have that kind of money yet but it would make me want to get them because i can finally i can fix my wheel i don't have to go through this whole rebuilding process where i got to send it back to the manufacturer in order to get my carbon laid up again. No, I can true it myself. So it was really cool. Congrats to Hunt Wheels. I think that is a huge step forward, especially for the general population. I think they're still going to be massively expensive, but if you can fix them, at least it makes more sense for the general population and maybe even pro riders then to use carbon spoke wheels on regular road stages. You know, they already use disc wheels and tri-spoke wheels for time trial bikes, but maybe we'll see it on the road. Who knows? So I think that could be really cool. So moving from carbon-spoke wheels onto something that does not need a back wheel, only needs a front wheel for support, I'm talking about an indoor trainer. Now, about a month ago, I got a new indoor trainer. It is the Wahoo Kicker. Core retails for $8.99 and is a smart trainer that is a direct drive trainer as well. And I wanted to give a little update on how I am enjoying the trainer and if you should go out and buy this trainer. So I came from having my wheel touching my trainer as the you know, metallic roller on the back of it, pretty standard trainer that a lot of people have currently use. And I was using that last year, a smart trainer on Zwift, and I liked it. But after a while, I just started to get really sick of the trainer. I was working so much harder on Zwift than I thought I should be. And I realized after a couple months of using it, that that was because it could only simulate grades of up to 7%. And if you don't have your trainer settings right on Zwift, those hills will then seem massively harder than they should be because you're maxing out the trainer to its fullest. And it was also kind of hard to swap between riding the bike on the trainer and riding the bike outside because at that time I only had one set of wheels. and I had to put a trainer tire on the back wheel so it didn't wear out super fast. So I, I didn't want to change tires just to go right outside especially because trainer tires are an absolute beast to put on so I wasn't going to go through that work but now the direct drive trainer super easy to take it off pop your back wheel in and you are ready to go but also the direct drive trainer just feels so much better it feels so much smoother and this is the wahoo kicker core so this is not top of the line it's still $899 totally understand that that is a lot of money but it's not massively expensive like some of the top and indoor trainers which can retail for $1,200 so this one will simulate up to 16% grade which on Zwift I don't think I've hit more than a 16% grade this year on Zwift So 16 for me is kind of all I ever thought that I would need. If I'm doing 20% on Zwift, it's going to be freaking hard anyway. So I don't really care if it's maxed out because that's going to be really tough. But other than that, it is an amazing trainer. You know, I I can live with the 4% not having the 4%, but it's an amazing trainer. I love the stability and feel of it. I like the flywheel. It feels very natural. feels like I'm on a road. I don't need a leveler up front for my wheel, so I'm never worrying about is my my bike level is it not level is my seat feel bad because my bike's not level whatever don't have to worry about that now and so I love this trainer also my wife likes it more because it's definitely quieter it is it's not like whisper silent but it's very very quiet which is super nice so if you are looking for a new trainer at all I can really really highly recommend the Wahoo Kicker Core, it also is connected very well with Zwift, so I am happy about that as well. And it's at a lower price point, I would say. If you want to get into a direct drive trainer, I think this is an awesome way to do it, and you're really not losing you know, much, techn- much technology compared to the better Wahoo Kicker. So, Wahoo Kicker Core, $899. Maybe you'll see a Black Friday deal. And speaking of... Black Friday deals. What is coming out? Because it is Thanksgiving. That means Black Friday is right after. That is the end of this week. And what good deals are out there? Well, thank goodness I did some research and I found it for you. So this is actually a link. I I did just kind of take credit for something that I actually didn't compile. But I found it on the internet for you and I did some other research. And I really didn't find anything as good as this list. So I really thought this list was good to share to all of you. So this is from Cycling Weekly. They put it together. And so Rafa Winter Bass Layer. I love Rafa. I have a couple bass layers from them. They are absolutely fantastic. <sighs> And they are perfect under a jersey, under a jacket, whatever. So, Rafa winter base layer is going to go from $110 to $66 on wiggle. That is half off base layer. If you are in the cold at all, I highly recommend a base layer. Also, a cool base layer in the summer is amazing as well, but a warm one in the winter I think is more valuable. That's $66 on wiggle. Rafa. Pro Team jersey, regularly $190, it's going to be $114 on Wiggle. That's not an amazing savings, I would say. You can usually find that on the archive sale, but still a good savings if that is the the jersey you want. Pro Team is their most aero jerseys. So if you're really looking to amp your watts up with your clothing, that is what you would get. The best one that I found or that this list put together, and I did some research on my own, was Shimano Altegra group set is going to be more than half off. It's going to go from 1456 to 659. And that is going to be on chain reaction cycles. That is a great price if you're looking to upgrade or you're building a bike. 659 for an Altegra group set, that is close to dealer cost. That is a really good price. So if you want to upgrade to Altegra or you're building a new bike, that's a great cost. And that is going to get you the entire Ultegra setup and I believe it's a DI2 as well. I can't really tell from this picture. It's mechanical. Sorry. It is not DI2. That would be, <laughs> that'd be crazy good. But $6.59 for a mechanical group set, still amazing price. So. Check that out on Chain Reaction Cycles. Also, some Scott Road shoes are on this list. Not a big fan of Scott Road shoes, so didn't really think that was that great. Continental Grand Prix tires are going to be $47.99, regularly $84.99. Usually, you can find Grand Prix for about that price anyways online, but coming to the absolute best deal aside from the Shimano, because that's an amazing deal. But Oakley Jawbreakers, Oakley Jawbreaker sunglasses on chain reaction cycles are going to be $140. That is down from $232. That is a great savings on quality, quality glasses. Those are the glasses I ride, and I absolutely love them. Don't really want to move away from them. I think they're fantastic, they're absolutely amazing, love the style, love the way they fit, love everything about them. So, that is what is going on Black Friday. I will have that link on the website, cyclingwithwatts.com. So, we're getting close to ending the show, but before we do, I want to get a question emailed to me from... Jesse, this is kind of a maintenance training, just regular bike question as well. And so that is about cleats. And so he's kind of wondering what cleats he should go with. Yellow, blue or red. We're talking about Shimano cleats. And I'm assuming if he is asking that question, might be getting into cleats for the first time, maybe he's switching pedals, that could be as well. But if you're getting your first set of Clip in pedals, I would definitely recommend the yellow Shimano cleats. And so these are all the same cleats, it is just different levels of float. The yellow is a six degree float, blue is a two degree float, and red is a fixed degree float. So that is absolutely none, that is zero degrees of float. Now, what is float, you ask? Well, that is how much your feet can move in the pedals and how much that cleat is going to allow you to move in those pedals. So six degrees is the most but the yellow is what I would recommend because that's going to give your foot the most amount of room to move in those cleats especially if this is your first pair of clip-in pedals. You're not going to be that comfortable yet. You're going to be moving positions a lot. You don't know exactly what your fit is and so this is going to give you the widest margin of error. I also ride yellow because I like yellow the best. I would recommend probably for most people to be yellow or blue. I would almost never recommend red. And if you are wearing red, it's because you're an experienced cyclist. And therefore, I trust that you you know the limitations, the dangers, and what you're getting yourself into if you go with a red cleat now GCN did a video talking to the pros on what they use and it was spread out all over the board mainly the sprinters or people who came over from track like Mark Cavendish used red because they wanted absolutely no movement when they were going for their sprints but also they came from the track world where they were used to that otherwise you'd see guys yellow blue Not a ton of people wore red, it was either yellow or blue, but it doesn't mean that if you're wearing yellow that that is for beginners. No, it is for all levels of cyclists, it just comes down to what is comfortable for you. So, that is the answer to your question, and again you can send me your questions and I will answer them on air at cyclingwithwatts at gmail.com. So on Friday, we are going to do maintenance and training. And I am super excited to have my coworker on and an amazing, amazing mechanic. His name is Brandt. We're going to talk about tubeless tires for the road. Is it worth it? How do you set it up? What are some of the pitfalls? What are some of the common mistakes that we see with how people set it up? And what you can do to be successful with your setup of tubeless tires. So that is going to be on Friday. But that is it for me. I thank you so much for tuning in today, and I really hope that you reach out to me Instagram or email. Please reach out. I'd love to hear from you all. But yes, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you all get out on your bike this Thanksgiving weekend. I know you got some time off from work, but I hope that you're fortunate enough to get on your bike whether that's outside or inside. So have a great Thanksgiving day, eat a ton of food, get out on that bike, burn it all off. But yes, have a great rest of your Tuesday and look for the podcast coming out this Black Friday. Thank you. Adios.